Today on Sagittarian Matters, food trends, ethics, class issues, and vegan eggs with part one of my talk with guest Lagusta Yearwood. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Palm Springs, California. This week I bring you part one of my two-part conversation with feminist, anarchist, vegan chocolatier and business owner Lagusta Yearwood. If you read the book Fetch, you may remember at the end I thanked Lagusta for donating chocolates during my dog's cancer fundraiser. Um, I got hooked on her stuff many years ago from reading her food blogs and then I realized like, oh my god, I want chocolate that's not harvested through slave labor and I would love to support a vegan feminist business and I started following her and we have a lot of the same clothes and I just liked her a lot. Um, This week we talk about vegan food trends and ethics and next week Beth Pickens joins us to interview Lagusta about feminist and anarchist business practices. You can find her blogs, her chocolates, her cafes and more online at lagustasluscious.com. Now please enjoy my talk with Lagusta Yearwood. Augusta Yearwood, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thanks, Nicole. I listen to Sagittarian Matters every week and I love it, so I'm totally geeking out. Let's geek. I am dreaming of eating your chocolate every week, probably as I'm making the podcast. So, you know, here we are. Perfect. We're here in the podcast studio with producer Ponyo is uh, working the levels. She's got her cans on and uh, yeah, she's saying that uh, everything sounds good and she's also getting scratched by the guest at the same time. <laughs> She's the cutest. So, Lagusta, you, who are you? What do you have? What do you do? Wow. Trying to figure that one out, Nicole. <laughs> um, let's see. So, I make chocolates. Well, okay, let me say this in a real way. I run a small chocolate company, a very busy cafe, and a small retail sweet shop in Manhattan. And I'm writing a book. How was that? That's great. You're, I found your stuff online. I can't remember when. It was when you were still doing a meal delivery service. And you were doing these really long, well-written blogs about food and vegan food and recipes. And it kind of rocked my world a little bit. Because you were living in New York City, or you were, you were delivering food to people in New York City. And you were talking about whole foods and whole ingredients. And like not to sound like a, like a douchebag, because I feel like I've heard like that term kind of exploited over the past few years but I was like oh my god I was like earth balance is garbage (laughs) palm oil is trash I feel like I started like getting into the idea of moving away from over processed vegan foods from reading your blog oh my gosh oh my heart is so warmed right now thank you Nicole um yeah I was thinking about this the other day I feel like I've always felt pretty um oppositional to the mainstream vegan world. Um, I've been vegan next year. I'll have been vegan for 25 years, which is mind blowing to me. Um, thank you. Um, also cause I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, which is not a vegan paradise then or now. So it's just a funny, funny world. Um, but I think also because I, I started reading a lot about anarchism starting in like high school. And because of that, I had this really cool belief that like, and because I was a huge dork and still am, um, that like you don't have to really belong to these scenes and really toe the line of what's cool in the scene. So I think because of that, when like the vegan trends, I haven't, I've been kind of oppositional to always, and I still feel that way. Um, I have a weird thing with that with aquafaba that I, can I just unload about yeah. this? Okay. Will you describe um, what that is? <laughs> okay. I'm not the one to describe what it is because I'm not, I don't use it. It's bean water. It's like water from either, everyone, whenever I say this, everyone says, you can make it from fresh beans too. You don't just have to use cans, but, um, and you, it's like the water from cooking chickpeas and you whip it up and it makes these amazing meringues and it's, it's really great. It's just great. But for some reason, because I didn't kind of come up in the vegan world using it, for some reason, I'm very oppositional to it and I just need to get over it. And it's my own weird ego and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So it's like weird things like that where you're like, I don't personally use that ingredient, so I hate it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's good to not be that way. Let's not be that way. But what, what are like, what are... 
you know, we will talk about it is the new year. But like, what what are your like least favorite vegan trends or things that every vegan loves or many vegans love that you're just like, why are you doing this? Okay, I have so much to say about okay. this. Um, most things vegans do, I don't like. <laughs> so I feel like we contain multitudes you know, as a people. It's true, isn't it? The truth. I mean, I'm lucky that I live in this amazing vegan world of deliciousness. But um, you know, I think vegans like. Everyone has a sense of deprivation, especially if you've been vegan for a long time. And it touches on a lot of class issues for me and a lot of things of like, are we really deprived that we can't have like supermarket birthday cake? You know, like, is that our goal in life? Or are we just kind of putting on these layers of like, oh, I would, you know, and the whole thing, I mean, I benefit from this financially a lot, so I shouldn't say anything, but the whole thing of like, vegans traveling really far for one food kind of makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, even though it's like, I, you know, I'm in LA, I have a huge list of places I want to eat at. I'm also on vacation, so I have like nothing to do. So I'll, you know, walk 10 miles to eat a sandwich. But it kind of makes me feel like in the vegan world, our priorities can be a little bit selfish seeming. Um, So I think there's all these vegan things. And what am I trying to say? A lot of them are just junk food and it's just vegan versions of junk food and I'm just really bored by it. I think maybe because I've been vegan longer or because I'm just an obstinate person who's not very nice. I don't know, but I just have no interest in, um, like what, like a cannoli. I mean, I don't know. I mean, actually I would eat a cannoli if, you know, they're great, but, um, just so many of these these tropes and these things that are just replicating mainstream junk food that vegans seem to be so obsessed with eating yeah. and kind of sp- taking pictures of online and saying that they ate them and, and making these pilgrimages to these places that it's just really boring to me. And I'm really interested in um, like my kind of food philosophy, I would say, is the, the, the food poor women have eaten around the world forever just kind of when you didn't have enough money to buy meat what did people and those people were pretty much always women um come up with you know and like those kinds of foods that's the food that i want to eat because it tastes really good and it's interesting you know like what like anything i mean kind of any any like i have this thing where Almost every culture has a beans and rice. You know, if you look at like Japan has like mochi with like red bean paste and like there's all these versions of beans and rice and there's all these ways that we've taken naturally vegan ingredients and made them into really beautiful things that aren't just like soy protein. Although I will say soy protein, I think that a lot of people think it was invented in like the 70s by white vegans, but it's actually, you know, invented in like what year one by Buddhists and has been a a, a vegan, you know, um, like protein soy source forever. Um, I don't know. For me, I'm really drawn to like Shoujin Ryori cuisine and this whole world of like Zen Buddhist temple food because it's been it's it's I think that vegans should really be embracing it more, and I think we're starting to. But it's this cuisine that ha- it's a naturally vegan cuisine that has you know like a lot of Indian cultures and different things where you're you have a moral belief in not eating animals. There are these cuisines that have sprung up based on that belief, and I think that vegans have picked from these cultures. Um, I guess I should say American vegans um, have picked from these cultures in sort of these weird ways, you know, but I think it's time to see them as embrace them maybe more holistically and in more in the context of their actual food culture. Does Mm -hmm. that make any sense? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. That was a big ramble. No, I like that ramble. Well, because it's the opposite ends of the spectrum. Because on one end of the spectrum, you have vegans, like Instagram vegans at like a food fest that's like Lollapalooza, but it's everyone standing in line to get like a Big Mac that's vegan. And then on the other end of it, you have this kind of like whole foods based in different cultures. Yeah. Kind of like building something from the ground up. And also it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be fancy. And you could do it anywhere. Like you don't have to. I feel like some people are like, oh, but I live in such and such place. So I could never be vegan. And I'm like, well, first I'm like, I went vegan in Kansas in the 90s. So I'm Mm -hmm. afraid I have zero tolerance for the thing you're saying right now. Yeah. Uh, You know, let me just nail myself to the cross in front of you. Would you mind like getting that nail for me? But um, I also, I don't know. I just, I'm like, yeah, you have veg, you have access to vegetables and beans and different things at grocery stores across the country, anywhere you are. Yeah. I mean, now 
it's so it's easier to be vegan than it ever has been. And I always try to remind myself that it is true that eating whole foods and cooking for yourself takes more time. And sometimes you don't have that time because you're, you know, a single mom working three jobs or, you know, whatever, and trying to have a lot of space for we're all where we're at and where we're at is okay because we're all trying. But I do think that there's a lot of, I don't want to say... I don't know, whiny vegans who just eat a lot of really processed food. And it's just like, let's get over it. I think that veganism as a culture, we kind of ask for too little and we expect too little from our restaurants that we go to. We What do you mean, ask for too little? I think that even in 2018 in LA, which is like, you know, vegan paradise, um, what restaurants are still serving subpar Caesar salad, vegan Caesar salad. Well, I, don't, I don't think there's an excuse for that. <laughs> Will you explain to me an ideal or a, like a bad vegan Caesar salad? Well, I think it's just like... You don't have to name names. Okay. Um, I think that <sighs> it's, just, it's just annoying to me. <laughs> like just, a real life Caesar salad yeah. has like some nuance. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a function of making a bad salad generally. Obviously, there's a million bad, you know, non-vegan Caesar salads out there, but I feel like it's still like, okay, you're putting some nori in and there's your fish flavor, which is true. Nori comes from the sea and that does give a fish flavor. But I feel like do something a little more interesting than just chopping up some nori, putting it on your salad, you know, at, it just seems like we should be either making the absolute best versions of these things or doing a more innovative version, you know, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with like a classic salad, like a Caesar salad, making a perfect version of it. But I think that sometimes vegans are so happy to have a Caesar salad that they're not like, this is a terrible Caesar salad. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Well, cause you, you posted about this, uh, anonymous Caesar salad. It had like veganaise dressing or something sure and not enough lemon. Yeah. I'm sure like veganaise. Come on. I mean, veganaise is fine. I'm not judging. It's not that. 1994. I'm just, yeah, it's super 1994. Why do they spell vegan with an E? I've always wondered about that. I don't know. Um, it's like, Dr. Bronner's, I mean, I, I, I use Dr. Bronner's this morning. I can't really judge that. Dr. Bronner's all, all one. one. All <laughs> exactly. one. Um, eternal father, eternally one. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing wrong with Dr. Bronner's, but I feel like there's better things now. You know, there's not, I mean, Dr. Bronner's too. Anyway, but you know, in the food world, let's, let's make homemade dressings, you know, like let's put enough dressing on a salad. Let's put a good acid balance. Let's do like, not just some croutons, but maybe croutons with like more flavor. And, you know, I think that, um, a lot of times there's a lot of words on, on menu descriptions for vegan things. And sometimes I'm not quite sure that those this sounds so snobby, but I'm just going to go with it. I'm not quite sure that people know what those words correspond to in the non-vegan world. You know, like you'll see things like burrata and you're like, I don't think this really bears really much resemblance to actual burrata. It's like a whole different thing that maybe people just use. It's like, oh, cheese. So I'll just make a thing with cashews and then that's that. And that's the reason that non-vegans make fun of vegans, you know, of not seeing these nuances or Um, you know, I think I'm guilty of that too, because in our cafe, we have cheese plates and we have, you know, we have a grating cheese, which is tree line hard cheese, which I really love. Um, you know, and for us that is, it's kind of a Parmesan. It's, you know, it's kind of our all purpose grating cheese. And then we have like soft cashew cheese, you know, and even we have Miyoko's, we have tree line, we have all these great cheese companies, but we have nowhere near the diversity of like the non-vegan cheese world. And I think it's ridiculous to say that we do, you know, like the vegan cheese is better than it's ever been, but it's not, it's not the same. You know, there's, I don't know, I think I'm going off on a crazy tangent. You know what I love is cheese hound from the Hudson Valley. It's so fucking expensive. I'm such a miser and I feel like your chocolate kind of broke me. Like I was like, now I'm paying $50 for a box of chocolate because it costs a lot of money to get shipped across the country. But I was yeah. like, it's worth it. I mean, it's worth it because yeah. I'm like, this is like ethical chocolate. Like this has great ingredients. This tastes incredible. This is supporting this woman-owned business. Like, you know, it just like it broke open, like just a different thing. Like once I think once you like get used to paying for something that's of quality, like clothing or like food, then going back, you look back and you're like, why would I pay that? Like $2 for this thing. Like yeah. that's not how much that actually costs. But anyway, 
Yeah, but no, but then I, like the cheese hound yeah. is like twenty five dollars so for much. a jar that has like three balls of mozzarella in it. But if you pay that money to that woman, who I'm assuming is a lesbian, she just she looks like a lesbian to me. <laughs> I know, but she she's she's got short hair, looks like a duck, walks like anyway. I just love giving her money essentially, and I think her stuff tastes so great, and yeah. it's a splurge, and it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pretty much all of my waking hour thoughts are spent thinking about food costs, <laughs> um, and. You know, that's another thing that drives me crazy in the vegan world is, you know, I saw someone post something online recently and it said, um, can we really call something cruelty free if we haven't thought about the human cost of that? And I think that's something that vegans, you know, we talk a lot about intersectional, intersectional veganism and, and I think we need to talk more about that. You know, I think that we're only now touching the surface of, um, you know, for example, fruit. I'm always talking about fruit in this country. Um, there's this really great book, um, Fresh Fruit, Broken Bodies, and it's about how, um, boy, like just modern day slavery, there's no way to put that, no other way to put it, in the U.S. and how the people who pick our fruit, who, you know, migrate from Mexico and, and countries in South America, come and pick fruit and they live in, not. I'm not even going to say slavery-like conditions. It's, you know, often are not paid. It's just horrible conditions. And that has nothing to do with organic or, you know, you can have certified organic fruit that has nothing to do with the ethical, you know, the, the human rights ways that it's that it's produced. Um, so I think that vegans, you know, on the one hand, you can't look at every single issue. I mean, we are talking about this with clothes. Sometimes you buy clothes that are made in sweatshops because you're a human being who's alive on the planet and you're not perfect. And that's what it is. But I think that as a whole... I see veganism moving further and further toward, you know, local produce, which from farms that, you know, you know, employ people in good ways. Um, but there's still so many ways that it seems like as a movement, we just overlook these things. And I think we really pat ourselves. Sorry, to, sorry, vegans to just yell at you for a while, but I'm just going to keep on with it. <laughs> I think we really pat ourselves on the back for really doing this thing that like, I don't want to discount how hard it can be for people, but I think if you've been vegan for a long time, it's not hard at all. I think when you start being vegan, yeah, there's a, there's a learning curve and I think you need to be gentle with yourself. And you know, if you fall off the wagon a little bit, that's fine. But once you've been vegan for a while, you don't really get that many props in my mind because it's like, it's, it's literally an absence. It's like you're not actively even doing anything. You're just buying food and eating it just like everyone else on the planet. So I feel like then it's time to sort of up our game a little bit and be like, okay, you know, how can we do this in a, in a even better way? I feel like the thing you're speaking to is like once you figure out how to do it and you're not having a mental breakdown over labels from learning to read your food, you have space in your life to then yeah. think about what else. And it's not like a constant stress show. It's just like, yeah, I know what groceries I buy. I buy them every week. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in a groove. I'm eating the thing. So now I have a little bit of extra mental space to think about like, do I want to buy those Driscoll's berries? Yeah. What's up exactly. with that? Like maybe if I care about compassionate eating, I have room for like one more compassionate choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think in the, in the vegan world, it's a lot is about splurges and about kind of these treat foods where we don't really think about where those are coming from. And I, that's why I kind of started a, a company to make those treat foods, but in a way that's more ethical, sort of. Um, I want to say just a random thought yeah. I just had about like just vegans in general. Yeah. I feel like, especially if you're a new vegan, what people don't really think about is that like every vegan eats differently. And I feel like, um, well, you and I were just talking about how, how our eating has changed and how I know I used to be really guilty of like making fun of people who don't eat gluten. And now I've calmed down about that a lot because it's like, one, why? Why be a hater in that way? Um, and also just just um, just having space for the fact that within veganism or within anything, there's so many different ways to eat. And I know for me, when I was in culinary school like in 2000, 2001, yeah, 2000, um, we did this class on Ayurveda and talked about like your dosha, which is like your body type and all these different, there's like online questionnaires about this. And, um, and what I learned from that is that I'm whatever, my body type or my personality type or a combination of the two, 
not an expert in this in any way, um, is basically just says to like eat a lot of oil um, and a lot of like greens and things like that. And I think I'd always felt guilty before that about just really like I eat a lot of oil and I think I'd always felt bad about it. And now I really don't. And whenever I cook with people, they're like shocked at how much olive oil I'm putting in things. And from that day forward, I started feeling so much healthier. And I think even in the vegan world, there can be a lot of like, like, like this is how, you know, like, I don't know. Um, what am I trying to say? People thinking that there's a certain way to eat. And I think it's really important even within being vegan to find the way of eating that works for you. And, um, well, I feel like there's a thing I don't want to say like on Instagram, I think in the wider world, but a vegans who are super proud of not eating vegetables and who are constantly posting like, I never eat salad. And I know why. I know we're all traumatized by like that Simpsons episode where you don't make friends with salad. I know. But, you know, or just the feeling in mainstream culture of vegans are these joyless people always eating salad. But I think we've overcorrected way too far. And now so much of the vegan world is about I say this as someone who literally makes sweets for a living, so I see that I'm like a big hypocrite. But um, but I will say that ours are like small pieces that cost a lot, so you can't eat too many of them. But I like I only eat salad. Like that's I mean not I only eat salad. I eat lots of you know things, but I don't know. I love I I, I feel like we've we need to we need to calm down with with this vegetable kind of hatred. And in the the wider vegan world, it's gotten a little bit ridiculous. I just think of the Beach Boys song, you know like. Eat a lot, sleep a lot, brush am I crazy? The vegetable <laughs> song. You're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole Georges. But I want to talk to you about the class issues behind food and pricing food because a big thing on the podcast we've talked about, mostly with artists, is, you know, like getting paid for your art is a class issue. And so, you know, I feel like getting paid for food is also a class issue and it goes the opposite way. So like, you know, just the thing you and I were talking about too is you and I have share a lot of the same wardrobe. Just we live across the country from each other and then I'll see pictures of you and be like, I have that and probably vice versa. But I, it was because I woke up one day in a heap of like Forever 21 Peter Pan collar dresses that were made by, that were probably designed, stolen from people and then made for you know really low wages in other countries and um and i didn't feel good about it i was like what am i doing what am i doing with my money this is the first time i've ever bought new clothes that weren't vintage and what have i done with it Mm -hmm. and so then i decided to make a living immense to the world by supporting small designers and i'm not a millionaire that's the thing like when i buy like your chocolates and i pay the amount of money you pay for like not like ethical chocolate made in an ethical way or, you know, when I pay for like a dress that's made by a designer who's actually getting money from it that's made in an ethical way, it's not because I'm a millionaire and that's my luxury. It's because I like budgeted to do that. I don't spend money on other things and I prioritize that. And like when I buy a book from an author instead of buying it from Amazon or getting it from the library or when I support small artists or like pay for a show or like, it's weird because people spend money on cigarettes, people spend money on beer, people spend money on fucking gasoline and all kinds of crazy shit. And then they're like, you want me to pay $100 for a garment that I will wear for years? I don't think so. Anyway, but I I feel like your shop being priced the way the things actually should cost in order to pay a living wage, in order for it not to be like blood chocolate or whatever, is a value for people to fucking think about. Like, why does this cost this much? And you're like, why why don't other things cost that much? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I have two million thoughts on this. Um, so you also didn't grow up as a billionaire. No, yeah, I grew up like super poor, and I think now I'm like a solidly middle class person, and I feel so insanely rich, and it's amazing to me. Um, and I have to remind myself of like, just because you can pay your bills every month, like you're not a rich person, because that's kind of my definition of being a rich person. Um, Same. So yeah, right. It's it's pretty nice to live in that world where you're not terrified about money every single second. Um, But yeah, you know, I try to really walk the walk on this because I run a business that the products are priced fairly. And, you know, I'm walking around in LA where things are so expensive and I'm stunned by a $12 um, horchata, you know, and I have to remind myself, I mean, I think think maybe things in Echo Park are a little bit (laughs) 
high, high price. LA's inflated. Um, yeah, there is such a thing. Crazy. At this place I go to, there's a thing called the $10 latte. Yes. I went and saw this. And so here's the funny thing about the $10 latte. And they had like a hashtag for it and everything. And I have a, a cafe in a very small town of like 10,000 people. And it's a college town and it's all vegan and it's as organic as possible and uses local produce. And it's really, the prices are actually extremely comparable to other places in town, which is insane and we should raise our prices. But it's because people freak out if, you know, people want to pay 25 cents more for almond milk and we're using homemade almond milk <laughs> that, you know, we should be charging a dollar twenty-five more. But we can't really sustain those prices. Although I will say our customers are amazing and kind of would would follow us you know, they're really great and they really get what we're trying to do. And I think we've managed to create this amazing customer base for our stuff, which I'm really grateful for. But, um, but anyway, the $10 matcha latte. So I said to the guy, I was like, what, you know, what makes it $10? And he was like, it has two scoops of matcha and cold pressed almond milk. And I run a cafe where we have matcha lattes that are exactly that for like $5. And I was just like, wow, you know, and they're bragging about that it costs so much, but Anyway. That's an LA thing. Yeah, that is. Back but to basics. I will say, um, yeah, I think that I do see that of our customers, we never wanted to market to vegans because I feel like for me, if I had my way, everyone, vegans who work in our shop get mad when I start talking about this, but I'm going for it. Um, vegans would never go to vegan restaurants and non-vegans would only go to vegan restaurants and vegans would only go to non-vegan restaurants because to me that is activism and well, for me, also, I learn more at non-vegan restaurants, and I'm happy to support vegan dishes at non-vegan restaurants and show that there's a demand for them. And I want to feed non-vegans because I want to show people that there's great vegan food out there and they don't have to be freaked out. And I think that this idea that you should only go to vegan restaurants, it's great to support other vegans, and that's wonderful. Um, but I think it's really important to, like not get stuck in this vegan bubble um you know so anyway I, so um so we always tried to kind of as a sort of activism not really promote our stuff to vegans and really get it out there in the mainstream world and show people that well i think for me i i used to do a lot of traditional like animal rights activism and that made me super depressed as it tends to do to everyone who's ever done animal rights activism and so i tried to convince myself that my work was activism if i really really tried to make things that were just as good or better as non-vegan things and really tried to get non-vegans to eat them because it's literally, you know, if someone eats a piece of chocolate that's that's vegan instead of something that's not vegan, that's an actual, you know, cow that I've maybe helped from being raped. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, um, but so what I've noticed with our customers is that we have this really funny split where we have vegans who love our stuff because they're vegan and it's vegan. And then we have people who love food who love our stuff because it's really good. And it seems to me that the food people are happy to pay our prices and they understand that there's a real cost and they, you know, are happy to pay that. And then vegans who you know, are my people. And I feel like often don't have a lot of money because they've just donated it to a, you know, someone who's in jail for protesting a fur thing or something, but still always whine about money. And I'm really tired of it. And not, you know, not always. There definitely are, are lots of people that don't. But I do feel like a lot of the complaints I hear about our prices are definitely from vegans. And it's super annoying. And we should get over it because I think that the idea that, um, you know, and I know partially it comes from this punk rock world. And if I could you know, let you guys all into the, the show of my chocolates for $5, like Ian Mackay, I would, but there's a lot of back-end costs for that, then that would mean that I would have to use really cheap, crappy chocolate that is definitely harvested by little slave children in Africa, and I don't want to do that because that doesn't fit in with my ethics, yeah. you know? So I think there's these splits in the vegan world of, you know, you have to know the company you're supporting is not just a corporate, you know, overlord that's raking it in, but is actually a company trying to, you know, make, sell things for a fair price. And I think the, the, the cost of that is that the consumer has to do a lot of research and kind of really know that the, you know, you and I love Samantha Pleat and, yeah. you know, these labels that are like made fairly. And I actually feel like maybe we should be researching Samantha Pleat more. I don't know. Maybe don't know. it's yeah. all made in New York City. Yeah. Maybe we should edit this part out anyway. Or I would say our friend Leanne, um, who makes vegan coats and like, you know, makes them in the garment district in New York City. And I see complaints about her prices 
prices online, but they're so worth it. You know, you're making a, a really, really beautiful vegan coat that's handmade in New York City, and you're going to have to pay money for that. Um, but of course, there's a whole other side of that, which is, are we creating this world where only fancy people can afford the nice things? And I think you and I, I feel like, are the same kind of person where we're not fancy people who enjoy splurging by saving up and, you know, and then having maybe less clothes. But I feel like that's probably not sustainable in the wider world because most people aren't going to save up for a dress for two months or, you know, a year and then have like 10 dresses. That's just not how the world is. Um, And I know one time I heard like Alice Waters, who's, you know, this local food legend for um, Chez Panisse and and doing all this work with like local food and things. She was on a NPR show and she just sounded, people always say she's a snob and she's very out of touch. And she just, she was complaining about people buy flat screen TVs instead of going to the farmer's market. And I just felt like that was such a uh, like classist thing and just like, how dare you have entertainment, you know? And I feel like I never want to be that way. And I always, you know, just want to meet people where they're at and have space for where people, what they can do in terms of ethics and everything. But I don't know. There's there's a lot of sides of things for sure. And I just feel like, especially with the internet, people really love these hard rules and kind of judging everyone for these things. And it it's it's so nuanced and it's so complicated. And I think it's really important to kind of do your research and talk to the companies that you buy from and think about with some intentionality how you want to spend your money and and how, you know, where, where's that money going? We are living in capitalism after all. Sadly. I mean, that's how you're voting with your dollars. Sadly. Well, okay, I have some questions for you. Uh, what For 2018, friend to the show, Morgan, wants to know what flavors, textures, or techniques do you think will be hot in 2018? Oh, my gosh. What do you predict for 2018, or what's up and coming? Hmm. Wow, I don't even know what to say. Okay, I mean, I feel like aquafaba. I feel like, you know, it's cool to see um, now there's this trend in the cocktail world of all these cocktails with eggs in them. So which is very annoying if you like going out to nice bars and getting nice drinks, Um, the sneaky egg. So I feel like that's cool doing things, um, you know, using using aquafaba for different uses or any kind of egg replacement. Um, I feel like eggs. I just um, uh, do you know Alicia Kennedy? She's a really cool journalist. You should know her. You should follow her on Instagram. Um, she just uh, interviewed me about eggs, and um, we were talking about like how far the eggs have come in the vegan world, and how I feel like that's like the new frontier of like all the different ways that you can replace eggs that are kind of new now. Wait, what can we say for people that are not even vegans that are listening to this just because they turn it on in their car and they can't look away to change the station, like. So vegan eggs, when I was coming up in the 90s, you could get energy egg replacer, mm-hmm. which is a box of a powdered potato starch kind of situation, and you add that to fluff things up. Or you could use applesauce or bananas to bind. That's exactly what I just said. And those were your yeah. options. Yep. So it was like if you want it to, to raise, you use energy egg replacer, which is a powder. If you want it to bind and you want to have a brownie that tastes like a banana, use your banana or your applesauce. Mm-hmm. Your brownies will boil. Always. This is my experience in the 90s. You'll have a boiling potato pan, or there'll be like a cake. Mm-hmm. It's just a cake. It's Those just are, a heavy cake. Yeah. Those are your choices. You don't actually get a gooey brownie yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, that's so funny. I feel like anyone who became vegan in the 90s just says the exact same things. Just bananas, applesauce, maybe silken tofu, throw it in there. Oh. <laughs> but so, and that's another thing is like, not to be mean, but if it's 2018 and you're making a cake and you're like, I'll just replace the eggs with a banana, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but no, yeah. No, I, but yeah. side note for later, maybe in the parking lot, I love carob. I just need to I say that. I too. No, I've actually wanted to talk to you about this for a long time. <laughs> Finally. Um, yeah, because I heard you say this once and I literally was like, I love carob. Like I yelled <laughs> it out. The weird thing is growing up, like I never really liked chocolate. I just really wanted caramel and things. So now like I make a lot of caramel things, but chocolate because I love working with chocolate and it's a great ingredient in terms of like the (laughs) texture and blah 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 but yeah no I loved I kind of loved being a vegan in the 90s because of care of of carob I mean we gotta bring it back it's important to note that because it was (laughs) it was sold to me then as a chocolate substitute which it is a poor chocolate substitute but on its own it's such an interesting malty thing and I love eating with raisins as a snack I just think it's delicious and it has nothing to do with chocolate well, now they're cousins. Is um, is it 
There's some powder. Oh gosh, I can't think of it. We use it. Um, a tiny, you use it like with agar, and it makes it. It's like they have like a synergistic relationship, and that powder. It's not guar gum. It's oh, I'm going to be yelling at the podcast when I hear this. Um, is is carob? So it's used in different ways. Um, but yeah, I know. I really we should really make a carob thing as like a little winking nod to like veganism. I would eat that. Me too. I, yeah, exactly. So people make fun of me. Carob 2018 year of carob. My friend Nate was like, it's not 1992. Did you know that? And I was like, yeah, I, I know. There used to be some like energy bar with like spirulina and carob. Yeah, I remember that. And I just loved it. <laughs> okay. Wait, or what things do you want to leave behind in 2017? Or what things did you see rumbling in 2017 that you think are going to really go off next year or this year? Okay. Leave behind. I mean, I would say just all these weird processed garbage, fake fast food crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that's not going to be left behind. Um... I don't know. There's all these new fancy burgers now that I'm very scared of that bleed and do all these strange things. And I'm not a burger person, so I don't know. But I guess those are going to keep happening. I mean, I think I have to say that, like, I think veganism felt like this little secret club for so long. And now it's like I'm very used to going to restaurants and being like, oh, can I get that vegan without eggs, cheese or dairy? Like I'm just like explaining what vegan is and especially in L.A., but kind of everywhere everyone knows what vegan means you know and i had someone say the other day like oh there's a little bit of honey in that and i'm like oh my god you knew to ask about honey like it's so amazing but so it feels kind of strange to be living in this world but i think the trend i hope for 2018 is just the continued mainstreaming of veganism it's really you know i think it's it's really important to not be jaded and not be like this is our little club of cool kids and be like this is really good you know and if we can do it in a I was in the supermarket the other day and I never go to the supermarket because I am very out of touch. <laughs> it's very terrible. Um, but I saw there's like a Hellman's mayonnaise and it just says vegan mayonnaise. Or it's it's some, it's like the other brand of, of regular mayonnaise. Yeah. I don't know. And it's just the thing now. I know there's those mayonnaise wars. But um, but yeah, just, just the continued mainstreaming of of it just being so normal. Plant-based. To, to, yeah, plant. Can we talk about plant-based? Plant-based. We, we still talk about eggs. We haven't oh, even talked oh, about yeah. eggs yet. Oh, yeah. Wait, I want to, I think that for me personally, papaya salad, hmm. vegan versions of papaya salad have entered my life yeah. in a way that they never had before yeah. at, at Thai restaurants. And I think that they are quite delicious. Um, Brussels sprouts were like the thing of 2014, yeah. 2013, as the vegan bar food was like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower was happening. Trader Joe's has some incredible cauliflower rice prepackaged things. I mean, if we're talking about garbage food, but like Trader Joe's, like cauliflower rice, frozen, mm-hmm. frozen cauliflower stir fry rice, cauliflower stuffing. And I got really excited mm-hmm. by those kind cool. of jazzed yeah. up prepackaged. If you have to do a prepackaged thing, yeah. if you're doing a Trader Joe's thing, that was kind of cool to me. Cauliflower crusts, yeah, of course. Cauliflower is super in. I feel in. like another thing that's really great is um, this sounds this is very specific to my world. Maybe no one else cares, but um, all natural colorings. Like I feel like when Marisa, my co-owner with Confectionery, our shop in the city, um, and I like first started doing a lot of pastry things. We had the most disgusting all natural colors, and I remember I was making candy canes once and tinting them red with this. Food co- like food coloring made from like beets or no, I think it was tomato, and you could really taste the tomato in the candy canes. And now I don't. There's just people are looking for things. I think because like Mars and all these big companies are searching for that too, because they are so proven to like make kids so hyperactive and mm-hmm. create you know cause huge diseases. Um, that the there's been a lot of research, and it's great in my world just having these beautiful colors because i'm like a real color person um you know and and having chocolates and things that are that are it's just i feel like it's great you know there's a lot more than like turmeric and beet juice not to be a seinfeld but have you ever noticed that i never try to sell you blue apron on the podcast or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg 
like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Brett Schmidt, Mary Pinson, and Christy Herod. Thank you. Wait, we have to talk about eggs. Yeah. I, I went to Crossroads for a belated birthday thing. I kind of, maybe we should go there tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know. I we should go there. <clears throat> Let's see if they're open for lunch. But, um, so I got this, what is that, what is that pasta called? I can't. Carbonara? Carbonara. Yeah. I got a carbonara, which is pasta that has bacon and egg in it. I never had that in my life. There's different things that I was too young when I went vegan to have ever had the real version. Like real sushi. Don't know it. I've had lox. I can imagine. I don't think I've eaten a fish. Oh, just going to say that. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But, but so this egg comes on it and I've had a vegan egg and ramen before, which is a gastro egg, which you'll have to explain to us. At ramen hood? Yes. How was it? It was, it was fine, but like I couldn't really taste it that much because there was so much other stuff going on it was like yeah. a cool thing to look at yeah and to try but it didn't blow my mind but this blew my mind because you could break the egg and it added it was an egg yolk and it added like a creamy eggy but not too puncher sulfuric kind of addition to the pasta and we ate it just like you're supposed to mm, this cool. was my like vegan deprivation moment of yeah. being like i'm eating like a normal person but that is that is the next level that's not like i'm eating a Cupcake. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, that is really cool. Um, yeah, I think one thing I've been working hard on for the past, pff, I don't even know, a long time, is kind of stealing techniques from the, like, molecular gastronomy, or now it's called modernist, or whatever, um, kind of world, which sometimes is weird because it's, like, some s- chemical kind of things, but not, like, too processed. Um, but, yeah, eggs. Yeah, we make a ramen in our cafe every other week. And um, so, like, I did all this. I wanted to do, like, a real uh, – so, Okay. Back up about eggs. So my friend Maurice and I kind of co-invented this vegan deviled egg thing that I'm very proud of and has been ripped off all over the internet, which is how you know it's good. Um, And it's a very realistic vegan deviled egg. Um, If you do a Google search, probably vegan deviled egg, Lagusta. Um, I think that'll pop up. Um, And it's really great. So for the ramen, I wanted like an actual, like a yolk that would kind of burst. Um, So I talked to my friend Brooks from Superiority Burger, and he and I came up with this idea for this, um, it's called spherification. You make these eggs, and it's really not hard. It requires two little powders, so you have to like mail order. I guess it's called internet order and i'm mm-hmm. used to I'm, I'm, I'm vegan from the 90s so i'm used <laughs> yeah. to mail ordering you know lip gloss um but yeah so so we do that for the ramen and it's really cool um because it does like burst you know open like a egg yolk and things um so i really want to go to crossroads and try that and ramen hood um but then afterward i did this google search and found out that this place in la was kind of doing the exact same sort of egg that i was doing so hooray for the ramen hood oh, it's ramen like, i think it's like basically our same egg but i just came up with it like without looking at the it was just happened yeah. at the same time but is anyway. it made out of a tomato no is there's a tomato no the one at oh, crossroads is made out of a tomato oh. Okay. No, ours is like it's it's really simple. The yolk or the white is just like unsweetened almond milk and agar. Although now we use genutine. Do you know about genutine? No. It's like fancy agar. It's a little bit oh. better because um, it has like a little bit of a um, better like I don't know release. It's like not as brittle sort of it's cool um and then it has the black salt which um i think isa moskowitz is the reason vegans use black salt um i don't i mean i know it's an indian thing but i think she's the one who kind of made that leap i could be wrong and it's probably someone whose name we don't know yeah um but anyway but um but yeah and then then the because black salt is sulfuric tasting yeah for people that have not been to the salt store exactly yes. yeah but the, there's also black salt that is not sulfuric so you have to get like the right black salt but anyway um but yeah then the yolk is like you make these spheres by putting in this this um is it calcium lactate i don't you know what's funny is it's the one part of the ramen i don't make anymore so the minute you stop making something you have no clue anymore but it's two you know. two powders yeah it's two powders um yeah and then you it's like the yolk is basically just like turmeric um it's got a couple things let me just say mm-hmm. but um but yeah so um what was my point? So there's all these cool new eggs you can make. Yeah. <laughs> there's that's it. Something I found interesting about, like, you started making these kind of vegan Butterfingers. 
and then these peanut butter bars. But then, like, you decided they were so hard to make that you literally just put the recipe online, and you were like, please stop ordering these for me. Just make them yourself. They're so hard to make. Yeah, and people have made them. And now... I would never. I was like, oh, the... Scalding hot sugar to make, but we stopped making them because I. Well, here's the thing that happens. Like, well, there's a place in Portland that makes them now. Yeah, Bumble Bars. Oh yeah, I had them. They're pretty good. Um, I wonder if they've like automated it. I don't see how you could. It's basically like making croissant dough, but with molten hot sugar. It's great. Um, and peanut butter. But yeah, I think what's really fun about my business is that I feel that everyone that I that that works there is so good at their jobs that I just as like a, in a good anarchist way, I'm able to just kind of give up control. And, you know, so we have these manager meetings for the chocolate shop. And so I, you know, I was like, oh, we got to make the peanut butter bars because they're so great. And everyone was just like, we're not making those again. Those make 18. I think we, I think we got the recipe up to make like 24 at a time. Like it's so little and it takes like hours to make that batch. So, you know, we were trying to like cost everything and, you know, I want to pay my people who work for me well. And that means making things that actually make a profit. And so the peanut butter bars just had to go on the wayside and I'm up by the wayside. And I'm so, I still mourn it because they'd have so to be like $25 each. Yeah. Which honestly, I feel like we could probably really, really jack up the price and sell them at a real price, but it would just feel kind of weird, you know, yeah. because that it's just hard to explain how much labor it takes. But yeah, so I put the recipe online and, um, people do make them. I so would. wait, will you tell me, do you, what are, what are your favorite things you've had in LA to eat and what are your least favorites? What are your tops and bottoms from Los Angeles? Ooh, okay. I'm trying to think, wait, can I look at, hold on. Yeah. I look at your list. list. Oh, I look at my list. Look at your list. <laughs> okay. Let's see. I feel like my favorite thing ever to eat, and this is, I don't know, is like, even if there's one delicious thing at a not vegan restaurant that I can eat that will like teach me something or really blow my mind, that's worth it to me. Yeah. You know, instead of just like, here's some soft serve, although I do really like soft serve. Um, Okay. Let me think about this. Um, Well, hmm. I went to... um, um, Kismet last night, which is totally not vegan, but they had this beautiful almond milk, almond milk, sweet potato puffed rice thing. And it was just, you could tell it was homemade almond milk. And it was really cool because it's a totally not vegetarian place. And the people next to me, I won't even tell you what they're eating because it will traumatize everyone. Um, but it was the kind of thing where you're just so happy eating. And it was like a you, roast ponyo. Yeah, it was. It actually was. And then you look <laughs> over and you're like, oh God, the world. Oh, it's like so horrifying. Puppy um, milk chihuahua. Yeah, it was. And you know, it's just funny when you've been a vegan a long time and you're like, oh my God, people actually eat little animals it's, or and big yeah. animals. But anyway, but, um, but that was just really nice because it was just a, I think the, just like you were saying about like the older you get with eating, I just want simple things that taste great. You know, I don't need like a whole crazy thing. And I tend to cook in a really complicated way because I really want like a depth of flavor. And I'm really fascinated by people who can make really simple things that have really great flavor. Because I think I tend to like overdo it sometimes. Um, oh, I went to Elf. That was really nice. Um, uh, have you been there? No. It's good. I think it's all vegetarian. Their menu didn't seem thrilling to me. Yeah, it kind of doesn't, but it's just a nice atmosphere. Okay. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty pleasant. I want to tell you I live by Cafe Floor, and I find it to be, like, a throwback from the 90s in the worst possible way. I was last night. Yeah, I looked at the menu, and I was like, no, I'm okay. But, yeah. That was a wise choice. I mean, I I don't love tearing other people down on here, but, like, once Rocco and I went there and shared an incredible avocado toast. I know you have feelings of avocado toast. But we shared an awesome. It was like fully loaded. And every other time I've been there since then, it's been a huge disappointment. Okay, what have you had food here that's yeah. disappointed you? Um, I mean, it's kind of weird because I live in a small town. I go to Manhattan a lot. But for me, just having so many restaurants around is very exciting. But then I tend to get mad when I feel like... I don't know, places just aren't trying, sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like they're so... Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed by avocado toast because it's nice, but it's just kind of like, all right, let's move on a little bit, you know? I I guess avocados are local and, you know, there's good bread and that's great. But yeah, I think just sort of generally I'm disappointed by the level of the the same old vegan things that are just around everywhere. Like what? Um, Geez, I haven't really been eating them, so I can't even, I mean, I feel like I just skim menus and I'm just like, I don't know, what's like a real... What's your canary in the coal mine for a place that you're like, oh... Oh, oh, I can tell you. Tempe Rubin. Oh. Right? Oh, I feel like there's like, 
it's tempeh reuben should be this beautiful thing that's like four different fermentations so it's so tangy you know and it's like sourdough bread and sauerkraut and cheese and tempeh and like this you know celebration of molecules and fermentation and so great and then sometimes you get it and you're just like it's just like ketchup and veganaise and whole wheat bread and like Mm -hmm. sauerkraut from a can and i don't know it's you know i feel like it's just kind of places that aren't kind of upping their game a little bit um i don't know i'm trying to think of other i mean yeah i had a pretty bad caesar salad but i don't know um yeah just just kind of same old same old same old kind of boring stuff um yeah. Um, there's something that you did for yourself when you wanted some structure in your life for goodness. That was called Frames. Oh my God, Frames! Can you describe what Frames is for my listeners? I would love that. Thank you for asking about Frames. Frames is amazing. So last winter on my like little vacation between Christmas and Valentine's chocolate insanity, um, I decided I, I, I took a little break and I said I wanted to keep a habit because I'm really bad at keeping habits. So I read this book about keeping habits and um, I hated this book so much. And the person who wrote it, I don't want to say anything that could like tell what book this is. I yeah. don't know why. Why be mean? Um, but just her life seemed so... well like sad and so ruled by habits on a crazy level, like the exact opposite of uh, exact opposite of my life, um, that out of like sheer annoyance at this book, I created my own little system and it's worked so great for me for a year. I love it. I don't have my old planner here because it's a new year. Otherwise I'd show you. So what happens is that every day I write on my um, planner frames. This is really a good system for people who have a borderline fetish for crossing things off their list, Mm -hmm. which is most people, I think, in our stressed out world. If you can't, if you don't live with your planner, like if if you don't live that way, this will not work for you. But if you're just always looking to cross more things off, here we go. So I write frames in really small letters. Um, It's kind of changed now. It's like frms. Like it's a little bit bit different. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, and then every day I just try, it kind of gives structure to my day. So I try to cross off these things. So it's F for flossing, which I've already done today. Thank you for asking. Um, M for wearing my mouth guard. It's super embarrassing, but I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed to be living my best life now. Um, um, M for mouth guard. There's two M's. M for meditation, which just makes me feel better. Um, E for, what's, what's R? Uh, oh, R is reading. So mm. reading not on um, like a screen. So like minimum 20 minutes reading not on a screen. Um, and then uh, E is exercise. S is that I listen to like a song every day as like a kind of like way to get my day going. Um, so I have a couple songs that I rotate through. Um, I've Got Life by Nina Simone is my current one. Mm-hmm. A plus song. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I had a good one by... Um, who was it? Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, morning song. And then flossing, mm-hmm. reading, mm-hmm. meditation. Yep. Possible mouth guard. Yep. <laughs> Exercise? Uh-huh. Song. And song. Yeah. You can make the S B sex. Whatever. The S- it could sex? be sex. Cares, right? Sex and song. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but and then I added a B, which doesn't fit with it at all, which is working on my book, but that is almost impossible to do every day. Yeah. So frames. Fransba. That's so nice. But yeah, come up with your own system that works for you. All right. Sometimes I change it up or like if I don't want, if, if like life is too crazy and I feel like I'm not gonna, I don't know, like meditate for a week or something and I want to swap something else in, I do that. Or for a while I was really depressed this year. So I just had like, I just added like N for nice, like nice to myself. And I try to do a little nice thing for myself every day. Anyway, I hope all, everyone takes the system and runs with it. It's, it's been so good for me. Thank you. Augusta, we're going to talk to you again tomorrow. But thank you for being on Sagittarius Matters. Well, thank you. I am truly honored. We're so happy to have you. We wanted you to come for a long time. Oh, boy. All right. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.